And let's open with a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, this morning we come before you boldly in Christ alone. We recognize that we have no merit in ourselves. We recognize, even as we have confessed in song this morning, that we have no other plea but the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is in him that we come boldly. It is in him that we know that you hear our prayer. Heavenly Father, this is the, the prayer of our hearts, even as Jenny has just proclaimed in song. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Heavenly Father, for those of us who are in Christ, that is the prayer of our hearts. That you would take our hearts, that you would take our lives, that you would use us for the glory of God, even as you promise to work all things for our good and for your glory. Even this morning, as we come to this passage, we pray that you would work through your word as you promise. We pray that the truth of the word of God would grip our hearts, that your word would not return void, that you would challenge us, that you would confront us, that you would change us for your glory this morning, Heavenly Father. Work in us. Accomplish your purpose in each and every one of our lives through your Spirit, working through the Word of God to the glory of God. Give me boldness this morning to proclaim the Word of God with clarity and with authority that you may be honored in all that is said and done. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We all love a good story with a daring escape. There's something about that that just grabs our attention and pulls us in. It's what drew the crowds to marvel at Harry Houdini's ability to escape from seemingly impossible situations. Our imaginations are ignited with the stories of Harriet Tubman in the Underground Railroad. Slaves escaping the plantations of the South and fleeing to the promise of freedom in the North. One story of escape that always fascinated me as a young man was the story of John and Clarence Anglin and Frank Morris who escaped from Alcatraz in June of 1962. I remember when I first heard the story, it was, uh, it was one of those History Channel specials and they were telling the story of this escape from Alcatraz. Alcatraz as you're most likely aware, is at the time one of the most secure prisons in the world. 
It's an island in the Bay of San Francisco. But in 1962, these three prisoners hatched a plan. And over the course of several months, they patiently gathered the tools. They formed crude tools. And slowly but surely, put together all that they needed. They drilled little holes in their wall around the air vent so that they could remove it, so that they could climb into the room behind their cells. Then they would climb up onto uh, this room back there. And for months, they would put this stuff together. They, they, they gathered raincoats, and, and from those raincoats, they created a raft. They created paddles out of wood that they found. And over the course of all these months doing this, finally the night came. The route had been prepared. Everything they needed was there. And, and when the time was right, they climbed through the air vents in their cells. They climbed up the roof. They shimmied down to the ground. They climbed over the fence of the prison. They slipped into San Francisco Bay, and they were never heard of again. No one knows what became of them. There's evidence that they never made it to land. But we don't know. But it's that story that captures our attention, is it not? This, this daring escape from seemingly impossible situations. In Hebrews 2, verses 1 to 4, the author of Hebrews here uses the language of escape to drive home his point. Superiority of Jesus Christ, so masterfully developed in chapter 1, demands a response from the listener. And this morning, the author of Hebrews will plead for your attention. Pay attention. Listen carefully. For it is eternity that is the subject, and it is your soul that is at stake. The danger this morning is apathy, and the answer, as we will see, is Jesus Christ. Hebrews 2, 1-4 is a call to believe. To see this superior Savior of chapter 1 and to place your faith in Him alone for salvation. And yet at the same time, it's also a call for believers to wake up and take seriously your identity and your responsibility in Christ. This salvation is great. And it is worthy of your attention and your time. This morning, as we work our way through this passage, we will see the warning of this passage and the reality of this passage. First thing we see in verse 1 is the warning. The warning. Chapter 2, verse 1 begins, Therefore we, get, we must give the more earnest heed to the things that we have heard, lest we drift away. Therefore, we say often, every time you see the word therefore, you pause to see what the therefore is therefore. Therefore is a connecting word. It connects this passage with the passage that precedes it. Therefore, based on the reality of chapter 1, based on the fact that Jesus is the heir of all things, 
that Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God, that he is the creator and the sustainer, that he is Messiah, that he is the eternal son of God, that he is the fulfillment of all of God's promises to David and to Abraham. Based on who Jesus is, based on the fact that he is better than the prophets, that he is better than the angels because he is the son of God. Based on that, we must give the more earnest heed. We must give the more earnest heed. You must pay attention to this. You must not miss this. This is more and simply hear, hear what I'm saying. This is more than just a reminder. Don't forget that. Don't forget this. It's as if the writer of Hebrews is grabbing you by the shoulders and is shaking you and is saying, do not miss this. Put away all distractions and pay attention. Chris and I were dating one time. She was over visiting at our house. And uh, we were saying there is uh, one of the times when she was a student at Bob Jones. Uh, and I was there as well. And, and we had homework to do. We had other things to do. And we were just kind of sitting in the living room. And my dad was sitting there. And we were talking. And my dad was scrolling through the TV. And then all of a sudden he saw a movie. It was one of his favorite movies. He loves this movie. And so he said, oh, guys, you've got to see this. And so he turns to that movie. And we're sitting there and, and we're talking and I've got my computer out and I'm doing some homework and Krista's sitting there and she's talking. And my dad's like, guys, pay attention, watch this. And we keep talking. And eventually my dad's starting to get kind of frustrated. He's like, Josh, put your computer away and pay attention to the movie. I want you to see this. Chris and I often laugh about it. Whenever we see that movie, we'll make fun of that moment. It was kind of a fun, funny moment. To him, in that moment, he wanted us to get rid of all distractions and pay attention to what is at hand. This is the most important thing. There is nothing else that matters. Brothers and sisters, that is the, the, what the author of Hebrews is doing here. Give the more earnest heed. Give all your attention. Put away all distractions. Focus in on this. It's like driving on ice. You give your full attention to that. Both hands are on the wheel. You are sitting up straight. Maybe you even turn the radio off so you can pay more attention to the road in front of you. You slow your speed down. You give all of your attention to that. Because there's a lot at stake. Give the more earnest heed. Pay attention. Do not miss this. Pay attention to what? Because of who Jesus is, give all the more attention to the things that we have heard. 
Because of who Jesus is, listen to all that Jesus has said. This is the gospel, and it is everything that is tied to who Jesus is and what he has done. In fact, it's everything that we'll see later on in this passage as we get to verses 3 and 4. It is this message that has been authenticated. It is the message proclaimed by Jesus Christ that is better than that proclaimed by the prophets or the angels. It is the things that we have heard. It is the gospel. Pay attention to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. That He is the promised Messiah. Pay attention to the fact that He died on the cross for your sins. Pay attention to the fact that He promised you, says you, life by faith alone. Pay attention to who Jesus is and all that He has promised you. In fact, don't just pay attention. Give all the more earnest heed to this. This is worthy of all of your attention. Why? Lest we drift away. Lest we drift away. John MacArthur and several other commentators note that the words that are used here to give more earnest heed in the words that are used here, lest we drift away. Both of these words have a nautical theme to them. They are terms that are used to a ship that has been allowed to drift past the harbor because the sailors overlooked important details. They forgot to drop the anchor. They forgot to pay attention to the current and to the wind. And because they did not pay earnest heed to this, they drift past the harbor out into the storm. Lest we drift away. The author of Hebrews is pleading with you to hear the truth and to heed the truth. Brothers and sisters, do not drift past the harbor of salvation. MacArthur makes another note here. It's a very powerful statement, I believe. It's a picture that grabs our attention. He says this, Most people do not go headlong and intentionally into hell. They drift into it. Most people do not deliberately, in a moment, turn their backs on God or curse Him. Most people just slowly, almost imperceptibly, slip past the harbor of salvation out into eternal destruction. Brothers and sisters, do not slip past the harbor of salvation. Pay all the more attention to this. Heed the gospel. Look to the superiority of Jesus Christ proclaimed in chapter 1. And pay attention to it. Respond in faith. Cling 
to these things that we have heard. Pay all the more attention to them. Do not miss this. Back to the idea of driving on ice. In our first year of marriage, Chris and I were living in Greenville, South Carolina. And as the holidays rolled around, we had the opportunity to drive back here to Iowa and to spend several days with family to celebrate Christmas. As the time for our trip drew near and we were getting ready, we were uh, watching the weather, it became clear that there was a big winter storm that was moving through the Midwest and it was basically following the highway that we were going to be driving on. We talked about waiting a few days and letting the storm blow through, but we were young and dumb and decided to go for it. So we hit the road. And the first half of our trip was fine. We had no problems. But then we got to Indianapolis, and the road between Indianapolis and Peoria was pretty much just a sheet of ice. I think it's the worst road I've ever driven on. I'll never forget it. I was a southerner. This was one of my first times driving on ice. I was scared to death. I remember being terrified. And I paid very close attention. I kept both hands on the wheel. I sat up straight. I, I, I didn't dare to blink. Praise the Lord that he protected us, and we made it safely to Iowa on that trip. But I remember as we were in that, we were in this lane that was going slow with other drivers around us, and yet I was baffled by other people in the other lane who were just flying by like there was nothing wrong. As if their four-wheel drive made them magically invincible to ice. They didn't pay any attention to the ice. They didn't slow down at all. There was plenty of evidence. You could see the roads. Even driving as slow and as carefully as I was, I was still sliding some. The roads were covered in ice. All the road signs were pleading with drivers to slow down, and there were semis and cars on the side of the road all over the place. There was plenty of warning signs. And many people that day who did not set out to wreck their car ended up in the ditch because they did not heed the warning signs and act accordingly. They did not pay attention. Church, the author of Hebrews is pleading with you this morning to pay attention to the truth and to respond accordingly. Hear the gospel. See the superiority of Jesus Christ and believe. Do not drift by into eternity and into damnation. But believe and find salvation. See, the author of Hebrews is telling us this morning that the greatest hindrance to the gospel today is not liberalism or wokeness. The greatest hindrance to the gospel today is not hate. The greatest hindrance to the gospel today is apathy. Do not drift mindlessly into hell. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. To 
To the Christian, I say, those of you who have believed, just as the author of Hebrews here would grab the unbeliever and shake them and say, pay attention, believe! So I would grab you this morning and I would say, believer, wake up! See this great salvation that is yours and Jesus Christ and live according to it. It is to our shame as believers that apathy is not only the greatest hindrance to those who, to, to acceptance of the gospel, apathy is also the greatest hindrance to the proclamation of the gospel. How can we grow so cold and apathetic to a gospel that is so glorious? To a Savior who is so superior? And yet tomorrow we'll go about our jobs like nothing's different. Tomorrow we'll stand in line at a grocery store beside someone who is condemned to hell and we do not care enough to share this great gospel with them. We must wake up to the reality that people are dying and going to hell today. We must start living like we believe that the gospel is true, that Jesus is Lord and that he is superior. And that his gospel is worthy of proclamation. You cannot say that you love your neighbor if you're not willing to tell them about your superior Savior and his great salvation. Brothers and sisters, wake up. This is his warning. Secondly, we see the reality. The reason for the warning. Do not miss this. Pay attention to the things that we have heard lest we drift away. Why? Verse 2. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. All right, let's pause there. Here, the author of Hebrews comes back to angels. You may remember from last week that in the end of chapter uh, 1, from verse 5 through the end, he turns his attention to, to angels, how Jesus is superior to angels. Now he's returning to that. The word spoken through angels. What, what is that? What is this word spoken through angels? Well, Acts 7, 38 and verse 53, along with Galatians 3, 19, indicate, along with Jewish tradition, that the law was given in the presence of angels. That the law delivered on Mount Sinai was delivered in the presence of a host of angels. It's referenced in Acts 7, it's referenced in, in Galatians 3, 19. and extra-biblical rabbinical writings. This word spoken through angels is the law. And if that 
law delivered by God, spoken through angels, if that law, and it's already been shown that Jesus is superior to angels, and so if the law delivered by angels is steadfast, if that is faithful and true, if every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, if the punishment under the law was just, if it is true that if you break the law, you face that punishment, which it is true, if that law was steadfast, if that law was faithful, every transgression and disobedience, transgression, sins of commission, sins that I set out to do, disobedience, sins of commission, sins of omission, If all these sins were punished, if that law was shown to be steadfast and God stood by that law, then how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? If God was faithful to that law delivered by angels, he will be faithful to his law, to, to his gospel delivered by Jesus Christ. If he was faithful to condemn based on that law, he will be faithful to condemn in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Believe. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? He's arguing here from lesser to greater. The law through angels is the lesser. And yet God was faithful to that law. And the gospel through Jesus Christ is the greater. And so all the more will God be faithful to that. So if we neglect this gospel, if we neglect these things that we have heard, how shall we escape? How shall we escape? In fact, he goes on in the rest of this passage, the end of verse 3 into verse 4, to show the superiority of this gospel message. It is so much better than that message delivered by angels. We've already seen that in chapter 1, but he repeats it here. This great salvation, this gospel message, which, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord Jesus... Jesus, the Word, He's the one who spoke this message. And then it was confirmed to us by those who heard Him. We referenced this when we began our journey through the book of Hebrews. That Hebrews is written to uh, second generation believers. We see evidence of that here at the end of verse 3, which first began to be spoken by the Lord. Jesus Christ proclaimed this message, and then it was confirmed to us, so we heard it by those who heard him. We didn't hear it ourselves from him, but those who heard him told us. It's been passed along. It was confirmed to us through those who heard him. These are apostles and first-generation Christians. These are eyewitnesses to all that Jesus said and done, said and did. Jesus spoke it, and they confirmed it, but it doesn't stop there. 
God himself also bore witness to this great salvation. He bore witness with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his will. This word was not just spoken and left, it was spoken and it was confirmed. And God gave signs and he sent witnesses and and wonders and miracles and he sent the Holy Spirit to proclaim that this message is true, that this Savior is superior and that his salvation alone saves. And if you neglect that, If you neglect that, how can you escape the condemnation? People often make the joke that there are only two things in life that are certain. Death and taxes. It's a silly saying, kind of makes us chuckle, but the reality is that there are very few things in life that are sure. You're not even guaranteed another breath this morning. You're not even guaranteed to make it to your lunch plans, to walk out these doors. You're not guaranteed to make it home. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. But one thing that is sure is the reality that one day you will stand before a holy and a just God your only hope, your only plea, is the blood of Jesus Christ. It is this superior Savior and his salvation, the Son of God. So the answer to the author of Hebrews' question here, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, this great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bore witness, both with signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. How shall we escape if we neglect so great this salvation? The answer is you won't. The answer is there is. There is no escape. Except in Christ alone. As we first launched into Hebrews a few weeks ago, we noted that the purpose of Hebrews is to call these young believers to faithfulness. There are several warning passages throughout the book of Hebrews, and this morning we come to the first warning passage. I believe the author of Hebrews starts here. Because the first step of faithfulness is faith. The first step is faith. If you have not placed your faith in Christ alone, if this great salvation is not yours in Him, the rest of this book doesn't matter. You have no hope to be faithful. You have no hope to participate in this great salvation. Because you have drifted past 
the harbor of salvation into eternal damnation. So here in Hebrews 2, 1 to 4, the author of Hebrews begins with a call to believe. It's more than a call. It is a pleading. Do not miss this. Do not drift into hell because you are apathetic to Jesus Christ. You see, we've noted that Hebrews is written to a Christian audience. So he's writing to those who know the truth. He's writing to those who know who Jesus is. He's writing to those who may have even given mental consent to the fact that, yes, I'm a sinner, I know that I'm bad. He's writing to, to second-generation believers. So many of these probably grew up in Christian homes like we did. At least one of their parents probably told them the gospel. Told them stories of Jesus Christ and of the apostles. It's one thing to know the truth. It's an entirely different thing to act on that truth. That is what the author of Hebrews is pleading with these listeners. Don't just know who Jesus is. Believe in who Jesus is. Place your faith in him alone for salvation. This is your decision. It's not the decision of your parents who were first generation believers. It's not the, the decision of your just general faith community. You are a sinner. And your sin will condemn you to hell. And you must call on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be saved. You must heed the gospel. The warning of Hebrews 2, 1-4 is to listen because the reality of Hebrews 2, 1-4 is that sin condemns, that God is just, and that Jesus alone saves. And so won't you believe today? Won't you believe and be saved? Won't you run to Christ? In just a second, we're going to close with a song. We're going to close with the song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus.